Hey everybody, welcome back to the Music That Made Us podcast. We've been away from doing these episodes for a long time, and I'm happy to say that we're back now uh, with episode 11 today. I wish it were more, but hey, you get what you get. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yep. Um... Today we're going to be talking about uh, an album that is 45 years old this year. It is one of my all-time favorite albums. I have a great story about when I first heard this album, when I first heard the opening track that I'm going to tell you guys about. I think you'll really love the story. The album is Kiss Destroyer, their fourth album. It's spectacular thoughts carthy um you know not uh having been a massive kiss fan in the past i will say that i was pleasantly surprised by the album there's a there's a couple of you know we'll get to it when we start discussing the songs there's there's one or two that you know aren't really up my alley um but i would say for the most part I found myself, uh, because of my job, I, you know, I drive around a lot. So I found myself cranking the windows down and turning the volume up on a lot of these songs. No, oh, yeah, yeah. I ride around the windows down a lot myself. And this is one of those albums where you can, you can, you can crank it and especially in the summer, let the, let the yep. wind flow. That's exactly my kind of like the, <clears throat> the feel of the album to me is like, you know, it's, it's, I, I mean, rock and roll during that period, all they all had the the party vibe. But uh, I think Kiss is as popular today um, as they are. Again, even with a forty five year old album, um, because they're able to capture a particular feel within their music um, that gets people kind of motivated, feeling a little bit more up, a little bit more energetic. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Well, let's let's think about this. This album came out. March the 15th in 1976. Yeah, about a month before I was born. So we're going, depending on what part of the country you're in, we're coming out of winter. We're, we're, it's getting warm. It's spring. It's the 70s. Yeah, it's the bicentennial. Sure. Um, what do we got? We have 76. Was that, was that the summer of Jaws? I don't know. I mean, you're two way, two years away from Star Wars, so, so round. I mean, you're periodic yeah. at, at the very least. the The streets are littered with classic muscle cars. For us back then, you're talking; these are cars that teenagers just drove because they were cheap. You're talking Firebirds, Chevelles. Yes, you, you've got. VW Beetles, you've got what else? Every, oh, I mean, all, every car that you see in a movie from back, it's dazed and confused. Yes, that is was, what you're what you're I living. Was, I was gonna say, like the Novas, the Mustangs, the, the Corvettes <clears throat> were more the, the high end, um, but you know, you still had Impalas, you still had all these other cars, and you know what? Back then, gas was only five cents a gallon, so it didn't matter that your car only got. 16 miles to the gallon because <laughs> the engine uh, was so huge. Um, but back then, uh, I think people felt more open. You know, the cell phones really hadn't been, you know, cell phones were more popularized during the 80s. 
Um, so that was like a te- that was the beginning of the tether. You know what yes. I mean? Yes. Um, back then, man, you got on the open road, and you just sometimes if you're on vacation, you drove. When you came yeah. back, you came back in a week, and you didn't have to think about things. And at least in my mind, this is the type of album again where you put the top down, you, you're in the sunshine, and you just crank it up, and you listen to Destroyer as you go on vacation. Mm-hmm. And in my opinion, this is the first Kiss album that really has that essence because the first three kiss hotter than hell dress the kill and if you also if you want to count their uh, uh their live album kiss alive which would make this their fifth album but i'm just calling it their fourth because i'm not going to count the alive album sure um it's got a totally different sound and it it really gives you that clean what we would call today classic rock sound yes that you would want to put down the windows sing along and you're like playing air guitar 100 percent on that one. Yeah. yeah it has a classic 70s rock sound to it mostly throughout <clears throat> yeah the first time i remember hearing a kiss song was detroit rock city and i guess i was probably Somewhere between the ages of eight and ten, and my cousin Bill is the person who introduced me to that. And my cousins Bill and Sam, Sam being the oldest, Bill being exactly your age. Actually, you're just a few months older than him. But Sam's born in 1971. Um, had uh, they were huge fans, and going down the steps of my grandmother's house, there are. <laughs> drawings of each kiss member that has makeup and their names and i I do believe there might be at that point there were the years that they wore the makeup on there okay Uh, i might be adding that in just because i I might be imagining that memory but i'm not sure and all the and all the names of the kiss members were there as well Uh, up in this point this we're talking like the we're talking like 1992, so we were uh, Bruce and Eric in this point as well. And we're down in the basement, and he's playing the song. And this is Detroit Rock City, where you have Gene at the beginning talking with over the newscast. Sure. You got the you got the, the the car, and then you got the crash at the end. Right. And we're playing along to it, and then the car crashes, and then we just fall down. I remember it. We're just kids. I mean, he's like. 13 i'm like nine or something it was great i loved it and this was the very first kiss album i ever got oh it's sitting right there in front of you the one that i got no kidding that's awesome uh my cousin sam gave it to me for my 12th birthday sweet and i remember listening to this album front to back or you know beginning to end yeah um i just put it in and i rolled sort of like a computer chair type thing in there in front of the the big stereo that we had at the house i grew up in and just listened to it and by the end i'm hooked sure i'm like whoa and from 12 on Anything Kiss I could get my hands on, I was reading. I was just ingesting. Sure. And then by the time 
high school came around. I started high school when I was 14. So just two years later, 96, the reunion. I'm at the concert. I'm wearing Kiss shirts all the time. Sure. It was just on. So that's why this record, this album, holds such a dear place in my heart. Sure. And all this stuff in here started right there when my cousin Sam gave me this album. Nice. And this one right here, this banner I got when Sam got married. He had his his basement, his room makes this look sad. <laughs> That's fair. Because he'd been going to concerts since he was about the same age. <laughs> he went to every time Kiss came around, he went to every concert. One in Charlotte, one in Greensboro, one in Raleigh. He went to all of them. Sure. So he got stuff everywhere. And that's the one I picked when he got married because he was getting rid of his stuff. Nice. And that was that was the top of the line in, in the room. Yeah, I like that one. <laughs> it's, it's different than some of the other ones. Yeah. So that, that's my story about this album. Oh, well, uh, you know, it's, if you're a fan uh, of, of music and, you know, that comes from Fanatical, uh, then um, I think there are, <clears throat> you know, definitely worse ways to spend your energy and money than really enjoying music. <laughs> That's very true. This album was recorded over a couple of sessions varied apart. They started off at a at an extremely um how do I say uh very well known studio. Uh all the musicians very much wanted to work there, all because of who created the studio. It was Electric Lady Studios, created by, you know? Not off team. Jimi Hendrix. Ha <laughs> ha, all right. And they worked there uh, from September the 3rd through the 6th in 75, and they kind of got the bones of the album down during uh, those three days. <clears throat> They did record uh, a couple of full songs, and they got pretty much the oomph of the album down. So that was between sort of in the middle of Dress to Kill and Alive tours. So they didn't really have a lot of time to get the whole album fleshed out. Sure. So they did those, and then they went back to went back to work basically. And then when the tour was over. From January through February for about 30 days in 76, they went to another very popular record studio, the Record Plant Studios. Uh, The Record Plant New York is now closed, but there's also uh, a Record Plant LA, and it's still open and it's going. Uh, The one in New York opened up in uh, 1967. And lots of artists recorded there during its original 20-year history. Now, Electric Lady, as I mentioned, it opened in 1970. And it was uh, designed by Jimi Hendrix. It was built for Jimi Hendrix. He was going to record all of his stuff there. But he only was able to record a few songs there before he died. Oh, wow. Um Man, I wish I could remember. There's like one song that's on like one of his albums that was not posthumously released. 
that you can hear. And the, the effects the man gets out of the guitar in the studio is just amazing. Then again, he's like the best guitar player of all time. So you expect anything he gets is going to be amazing anyway. Sure. <clears throat> so it was originally an old nightclub. And Jimmy saw it, Jimmy bought it, turned it into a record studio. So being a nightclub, it's probably got pretty good acoustics anyway. Yes, sir. <clears throat> so let's see. So if everybody knows the Jimi Hendrix story, <clears throat> other than the fact that he was only able to uh, spend about 10 weeks in his self-designed studio before he left to die in London about three weeks after it was finished. Mm. Yeah, it's really sad. So the producer of this album was a new person to work with Kiss, but he was well-known throughout the record community. Bob Ezrin. Um, <clears throat> he had worked with Alice Cooper for many albums. He had taken Alice Cooper to number one in albums and top ten in singles. Oh, wow. And his first step in making this album with Kiss was teaching the band music theory. Okay. Yeah, that's one of the most feared classes uh, of any music major at any music college. Yeah, they were self-taught. And they've admitted that in their first three albums, they just played. It uh, didn't matter if it was a broken string, it was out of tune. They were playing the song and it was going through. So music theory, playing in tune the whole way through, and uh, bringing in different sounds for the album. Sure. This was all Bob. He would also wear a whistle around his neck and he wouldn't hesitate to blow it if he thought you were out of line or slacking off oh. and he started off every day by saying good morning campers let's get to work okay <laughs> so he brought in a well he was also extremely high on cocaine throughout the whole thing so that kind of you know well i mean when you've got the cred of taking a really well-known hard rock artist to like you said Album sales, single sales, radio play. I, I can see yourself being a little bit on the, the arrogant side. Oh, yeah. He was that. Um, there were initially 15 songs the band wrote and demoed for this album. And Mr. Ezrin rejected almost every single one of them. Uh, Detroit Rock City was the only one to fully make the cut. Let's see, God of Thunder, they heavily reworked it. Parts of Sweet Pain and Flaming Youth, they were kind of picked over mm -hmm. and put into the album. Now, I've listened to the demos. This is the first time I've ever listened to the demos for this album was doing the research for this. They changed a lot, however, for uh, Detroit Rock City. Okay. The, uh, the guitar, especially, was completely changed. It had much more of a 
of a psychedelic feel almost. Oh, oh, okay. yeah. I don't know. Yeah, that, that would have definitely thrown that song mm-hmm. off. They they added more lyrics. Okay. Let's see. I was going to say the only complaint I have about Detroit Rock City is that it's five minutes long. Mm. Um, God, what was it? Uh, see, God of Thunder was originally sung by Paul. Mm. It was written for him. He wrote it for himself, and he sung it, and it had a much more upbeat tempo. Yeah. It wasn't as heavy <clears throat> as me bass lines. I was going to say that's the one <clears throat> song off the whole album to me that kind of, I don't know, ventured into almost like Ozzy, Black Sabbath kind of grungy sound. You know, we'll yeah. take your souls. You know, that, you know, yeah. you know it, it just was a different uh, feel than the other songs to me. Uh, Flaming Youth, they changed... Um, see, my parents think I'm crazy. It was, my parents think we're crazy. It was instead of, every time he said I, it was we. Okay. We singing about the band. Gotcha. All right. And we talked a little bit earlier before we started about Great Expectations. Oh, good gosh. That song was originally supposed to be each member singing in it. And it was going to be they sing about their own parts. Um, uh, See what my fingers can do was supposed to be Ace singing because it was about the guitar. Sure. But Ace didn't sing until Love Gun in '77, so he wasn't ready to sing yet. He was still kind of, kind of uh, bashful. Well, fair enough. And see what my hands can do was about the drum, and that was supposed to be Peter. And you know, my mouth is, I think. Uh, Paul and there's something in there for Gene my tongue I think um, oh yeah but whenever they do the demo he actually says each of their names when you see Pete playing the drum and you see Ace playing guitar it was it was I liked the demo a lot better even if Gene sung all of the parts I liked it much better than the actual version that came out it was the same speed, the same sound. It was just the lyrics are different. Yeah, that's okay. It made a big difference to me. Yeah, we you know my opinion on it. We'll, yeah, it's we'll get to song. that when we start reviewing the album. Um, and, and and Beth, Beth, Beth was originally called Beck. Okay. Yeah, because it was written before Kiss. It was written by Peter Chris and a guy named Stan Pendridge back in Pete's original band back in the late sixties. Wow. And it was written about one of the guys in the band's wife named Becky who would continually call the band and when they were in rehearsal, please come home, please come home. And so they sure. just kind of jotted down the stuff that he would say. So whenever the demo came out, I swear it sounds like they're playing Fisher-Price instruments. Oh. It sounded awful. It was up-tempo. But the drum sounded like, you know, one of those plastic things with the rattles on the side. Oh, it, yeah. it was bad. It was bad. And it was almost sort of a, sort of like a, like a F.U. song. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's like, screw you, lady. I'm going to do what I want. Less than a rock ballad that it became? Exactly. Okay. And um, Bob Ezrin took it home, reworked it on the piano. Yeah. And it became, he reworked um it was mainly 
the the chorus is what he would be worth. Okay. And put it on into piano. He's he was a, he's a masterful pianist, and it became what it became. Right. I did not know. Uh, you know. And again, we'll discuss it when we get to the songs. But I did not know that that was as popular when we first started talking about it. You know, off air. Um, I didn't know that that was as popular of a song as you said it was. So um, that took me back a little a bit, given some of the other songs on the album, but we'll get to that. And speaking of that sound, that sound for the whole album is completely different than any Kiss album so far. And the, the growth of it confused a lot of the main Kiss fans. I can see that. The the album sales they had had from Alive, I don't remember what it stalled out at Alive, but it, it went gold. It was their first album to go gold. After it went gold, the other three before it eventually went gold as well. Sure. But because of its sales of Alive, when this album came out, everybody was like, man, they're back. Let's get this album. And it, it sold extremely well. And it went gold extremely fast. But then it stalled out. And the Kiss mainstays were kind of kind of pissed off. Okay. And in fact, there's, <laughs> there's one uh, quote, I think uh, Ezrin says, and it might be a book of his, says that there was a Kiss fan in the Midwest that said if he ever saw Bob Ezrin, he was going to punch him in the nose for Destroyer. Because he ruined Kiss, and he was going to do it for all the Kiss fans in the world. <laughs> oh, goodness. Okay. <laughs> Kiss were actually very upset with it once it released because they saw how upset all their fans were. Sure. And that's why their next album, Rock and Roll Over, is sort of like almost back to like how the first three were. Well, you know, if you, better, you better play to your audience. But then they go back to Love Gun, <clears throat> and Love Gun's more like this one. Right, so you know well, they're they're always they're back and forth. A bands lot. bands mature, their sounds change, and sometimes fans get pissy about it. it. That's took, just the way it is. It took them a little while to realize that this was the way to go. Sure. Then again, the sound. You know, we talked about great expectations. It's got part of uh, Beethoven in it. <laughs> um, they also have the New York Philharmonic, the Brooklyn Boys Choir. Uh, God of Thunder, the drums are spectacular, but some of the drums have been reversed. They have sound effects, uh, zippers, uh, cars, all kinds of things. Bob Ezrin's Screaming Children can be heard throughout the album. Yep, believe me, I noticed that one. Yeah. So these are all things that had never been in a Kiss album until this point. Sure, and uh, that makes it, um, I think, what the word you used um, when you told me to listen to it, because you knew I was a, a newbie, was think of it maybe as a concept album. Yeah. And uh, having gone back and listened to some of the, the stuff that came before this, just, you know, Mm-hmm. Tap on songs, listen to a minute or two of them. Um, man, this album really is, uh, you know, it's just got a different vibe to it with those two slower songs. Um, 
And again, uh, there's, there's, I will get to it in the songs too, but there's one song, <clears throat> excuse me, that, uh, the first thing I think of is, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy every time I hear it. Oh yeah. Because it's, it's got that, that vibe to it. Oh yeah, it does. Yeah. Um, you know, James Gunn being who he is growing up when he did, you know, he, he loves that type of music. So that's why he puts it in an album, but, um, you know, it's uh, the awesome mixtape. You can buy those one mm-hmm. and two from the movie. Um, I would be shocked if that song isn't on in some in some place because it fits so well within that that again that time period of music. It's just they wrote a superior song. You know what I mean? It's, it's it sounds like a lot of other songs, but it, it's different to the point where you know it stands out amongst them. Oh, Detroit Rock City. Um, <clears throat> God, good question. I'm sorry. Uh, no. Uh, which one is it? It's either Flaming Youth or Sweet Pain. It's one of those. But I specifically started thinking about uh, the very either the very beginning of Guardians of the Galaxy one or the mm. CGI scene with Kurt Russell as a young man, and mm. they're riding down. You know, the beginning of the second one. Gotcha, when, gotcha. When the mom yeah. and him are riding in that that seventies mm-hmm. look. You know, what I'm saying they got the car, they got the clothes, the wind is blowing through their hair. And I'm like, I can like that's the exact age. Like I can I could see them just pumping mm-hmm. a Chris, uh, you know, a Kiss song up, and that being part of the movie. I guess I always have a hard time different determining which soundtracks are better: the soundtrack for Captain Marvel or the Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, just, I don't think there's a me personally. I don't think there's a uh, there's a there's a even a, a second guess. Gardens of the Galaxy all the way. Yeah. But I am also a little older. Not much, but, you know, I think what you like to listen to is a lot influenced by maybe what your parents listen to. when You know, because that, that, that gives you a starting point to branch out. Mm-hmm. You know, your friends and everything are also going to be branch points. So uh, my dad had a lot of Motown um, and a lot of 70s rock, uh, Little Feet, The Eagles, you know, mm. Steve Miller Band. Oh, yeah. Um, now, those are just pure rock and roll. You know, Kiss, I think, takes it up a notch in terms of a little bit heavier stuff, a little bit more heavier sound. Um, definitely a little bit more rocky and rolly, where the other ones seem to more like, se- not folky, but 70s, like, mellow rock. Yeah, I got you. You know what I mean? Um, and so you can just hear the influence of that music the chords, uh, the chord progressions, and some of that stuff. But one of these songs, I mean, I literally just rolled down all four windows and cranked it. <laughs> and I was just like, I feel like I'm in Guardians of the Galaxy, yeah. like just riding down the road. So, but like I said, we'll get to that when we start talking about each song. I'm sorry I um, took over that little bit. No, no, that was great. I loved it. Um, oh, I talked about when it was released and how fast it went gold. It went gold in under a month. Which sounds fast, but within a year, Kiss would ship albums platinum. Yes. So, I mean, but for a band that was literally poor and they were living off of their manager's MasterCard, excuse me, American Express card. Sure. um, This is is very important for them. Like a turning point. Yes. So, let's see. This album... Gold in April, platinum in November. This is 1976, by the way. 
Let's see. So that's 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 good. Um, bada bada bum. Where did it rank for the albums? Now today we have the Billboard Top 200 and sure. you know, bubbling under 100 and all this. Back then we had the U.S. Pop, we had U.S. Catalog, and then we had the Tastemaker. Apparently the U.S. Pop Billboard is like what the Billboard 200 is today. Sure. And it, it got to 11 on that. That's impressive. That's where it peaked, and then it started to fall. And by August, it was down to 192. Did not stay there for long. No, that's burning bright. Yeah. But, but also burning fast. Um... It was not until uh, a DJ flipped Detroit Rock City over and played Beth that it began to sell again. Ah, gotcha. Because they stalled out in like the 600 to like 750,000 mark of units sold. Sure. And then when he flipped that over, that's when they finally broke and became platinum and platinum wasn't even invented until 76 by the way sure which i found kind of cool well i think uh the the sound of beth would have definitely reached a broader audience yeah. and that was a they want paul and gene were like this is a throwaway we don't even want it on the album but bob was like you want this on this album this is going to put you into a different genre than you have ever been. Trust me, this is going to make you some money. And that was the key point. That was the key word. Right. Money. Oh, sure. So they put it on there, and it's what it did. And before they ever started recording, the manager, Bill Coyne, said to them, said to Bob, there has to be a song sung by Peter on this album. Because there has to be a song sung by Peter on every album. We have to have that. And there was that was sort of like the the Beatles sort of thing. Sure. There was always a Ringo song on there, apparently. Yeah, there were. Yeah. And then by Love Gun, there was a song by every member on an album. Okay. So they, they, were, they wanted that to begin with, but Ace wouldn't sing. But there was always a song written by Ace on every album. Well, you know, there's nothing wrong with not wanting to be the front man. But again, you know, you start selling platinum albums, I'd be like, yeah, just tell me what to do. <laughs> yep, you're right about that. And uh, he eventually started singing his own songs. And uh, he's, now he's he had the best solo career of any of them. I mean, when I was looking at albums, I, yeah, I did notice that... The Ace albums. Yeah, he's 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 touring with Alice Cooper. As a matter of fact, this fall he's going to be, I think, in Raleigh. <laughs> That's awesome. I was like, I kind of kind of want to go see that. Okay, let's see. Their singles were. Oh, I just had a piece of paper and I just put it away. There it is. Shout it out loud was the first one they released. Now, if you go to Canada, this is a number one album. It's the number one single right here. 
Shout it out loud. Shout it out loud, number one in Canada. But in the United States, it hit 31. 31, uh, but still, that's top 50. Uh-huh. Uh, see, Germany, 32. Sweden, 16. 45 in Australia. And New Zealand, 40. Then they put out Flaming Youth. Which, okay. by the way, is my favorite song. 74 in the United States and 73 in Canada. Then they put out Detroit Rock City, which they all think is the best song on the album. It's the most musically diverse one. Paul says it is the song he's the most proud to have written. Ace says it is the most musically competent song Thank you. of any Kiss song. I said that without being prompted, ladies and gentlemen. That's right. Um, it did not chart <laughs> anywhere except for Germany. Which is crazy because it is a fantastic song. The bass line is ridiculous. The guitar work is fantastic. It's one of the better recorded ones. You know, you can tell even from... Because, you know, as you said, download the 70s version, but listen to the remastered one. Mm -hmm. So I've got the 70s version. You can tell the recording quality is different on certain songs. Even in this digital age, you can tell, oh my goodness, Detroit Rock City, that was a produced song. And I'm telling you what, again, as someone who played music for a very long time, that song uh, trumps all of them in terms of complexity. And then they released Beth, which hit number seven in the United States. It was their first top ten. And uh, I think it's, it is still their highest charting single. Which is crazy. It hit number five in Canada and number 79 in Australia. So that's their highest charting single just from this album, right? I think from all albums. So you're saying like rock and roll all night? No, it never got that high. No way. I think it might have hit like 11. I thought that was like a party rock anthem. It is. Uh, Now, Psycho Circus, when it came out, I want to say that song hit number one or two, but it wasn't on the Billboard like 200 or whatever. It was like on the rock. When they started to be more specific with them. Okay, I got you. It wasn't on the overall one. Exactly, yeah. And then they did release God of Thunder as a single, but it charted on nothing. I wouldn't think so. Um, No, that song, the drumming on that song is just out of this world, in my opinion. Um, Again, it's not that I don't like it. It just sounds uh, so much more uh, Black Sabbath-ish. It's just a little bit heavier, a little bit slower, a little bit more grungier. Mm -hmm. Um but it almost feels like a song that is playing to the personas of Kiss. Oh, yeah. You know, the demon, the star. You know, what, exactly what it is. So it, it's almost like uh, Ozzy. You know, once he got the Lord of Darkness, mm-hmm. he, he knew exactly what to put in his songs. So that the Slayer, that, another example, uh, the lead singer is a devout Catholic. And they're like, well, then why do you sing about demons? And he goes... Because that's what our rock fans like to listen to. So mm-hmm. I don't have to believe in it or think it's true. Or, you know, I'm not promoting it. What I'm doing is I'm making money. So mm-hmm. this sounds like a song that was like, hey, Kiss fans, look at our makeup and stuff like that. And this song fits what you're looking that's at. That's all Bob. Is that what Bob, it was? Because, like I said, Paul wrote that song. It was for him. And Bob's like, no. If you let Gene sing it, 
it's going to be totally different. It, and it, it turned out to be his signature song. Yeah, I mean, like I said, it's, it just has a different sound to it. And uh, as I said, you know, we talked about uh, their most competent musical song being Detroit Rock City. Well, the entire song itself, basically, all the musical composition is Bob Ezrin. Mm-hmm. He came up with the guitar solo. He came up with the melody of it. He came up with pretty much the drums. It's all him. But well, he doesn't take any of the credit. It's uh, it's definitely just more complex than some of the other corded drumming, singing, repeat, solo in song. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's it's that, like I said. My only complaint is I do believe the added lyrics don't do it any service. Mm. It could be at least a minute shorter and still be just as good of a song, if not better. Yeah, I, I like it whenever they cut out the beginning and the end. You know, the a Michigan youth today. Yeah. You know, that is actually, that song is based off of a true story. Is it? Yeah, and it's actually a true story that happened in Charlotte. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Paul wrote that after hearing about... A car accident that happened outside of a concert of theirs. A kid was leaving a concert and then got into an accident and died. And he wrote it thinking about how fast these things can just happen. Sure. And it, uh, he said it happened in at a, at a show in Charlotte. But he changed it to Detroit for this album because he knew that's where it was going to sell. Yeah. Of course. And, you know, Charlotte Rock City doesn't sound quite as cool. Hmm. Nah, it sure doesn't. No, it doesn't. Uh, we've talked about Bob Ezrin and how much he did on this album. Well, not only how much did he do, how much did he write? He is the co-writer on eight of the songs. Oh, wow. Okay. Yes. Just so the listeners know that if you're not familiar like I was not, there's only 10. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, the, the Sweet Pain and God of Thunder being the two that he does not have a co-writing credit of. Uh... In Detroit Rock City, there is a small part that if you have a very keen ear, you can hear a musical part from a song of Kisses called Acrobat that is back from when they very first started in 1973. They played that at the Daisy back in New York. All right. I can't pick it out from from the song. I cannot pick it out. That is one of my favorite songs of theirs, though. Okay. It's on their box set. It is a, oh, it's, oh, most of it is instrumental. And like the last 45 seconds is like Gene singing maybe eight words. Oh, okay. But it is, it, oh, the instruments on that song is just spectacular. But I would have to listen with, I guess, some spectacular spectacular earbuds to pick it out sure i mean you know audio quality definitely makes a difference little side note i personally have heard six of these songs live in person no well that's awesome <laughs> what do you mean that's not a side note yeah. that's a headliner yes uh let's see little other side notes here before we get into some questions oh King of the Nighttime World. And then he says, you're my headlight queen. Do you have to know what a headlight queen is? I do not. <clears throat> that is a headlight queen is someone giving a fellatio in the dark in the 
back alley behind the studio. Oh. And someone hits the high beams on the car headlights. Ah. Gotcha. Isn't that a little rude? Well, I'm thinking, uh, you know, being that age or being a rock and roll guy, I can imagine where it'd be hilarious if you were drunk, but not so hilarious if you were the one getting the act performed upon. Exactly. Yeah, that was when I was reading about that. I'm like, I'm like, how old were they when they did this? And then I stumbled upon their ages, which <laughs> they were only. Paul was 23. Really? Ace was 24. All right. Gene was 26. And Pete was 29. So, for the most part, they were pretty young. They And that, that sounds about right for that age, too. Yeah. Um, uh, especially if you've been living the rock and roll lifestyle for a little while. Like you said, it wasn't their first album. No. Um, so, they've been doing it for a little bit. So, I can see, given that age, you know, PC-ness had not kicked in. I could see where that would be probably freaking hilarious to, you know, drunk band members or whatever. Yes, completely. <laughs> mm. I would not enjoy that myself if that were to happen to me. Uh, well, you know, because we're a G-rated one, I, I, I can't really say the old joke, but... Uh, it, it sort of goes along if someone is taking care of business by themselves and you walk in on them and they don't stop. Who's weirder? Them for not stopping or you for continuing to watch? Ooh. <laughs> so, uh, I would say the headlight thing. All right. Uh, it's funny for a second, but if she doesn't stop, then... Really, at that point, are you really going to want to watch that to completion? <laughs> Very true. Oh, my gosh. Turn, ah, turn, turn off the car. Turn, turn off the, the car. Out. I don't want to see that we at all. We do not want to watch this. <laughs> yeah. Oh. They, called our, you know, they called our bluff. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> turn it off, man. Oh, I don't want to watch. I do not he's pointing and laughing at us. <laughs> he's, 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 no. no, that's not what I want to see. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, like I said, the, the album itself initially was not found very fond by fans well neither did um like uh rock journalists they didn't care for it either they called it pedestrian drumming uh thought the some of the horns were like uh kazoos they were oh, they okay. did not enjoy it well but it as, was a departure from their sound as years went on right maybe even 10 years that it was found to be much more fond memories looking back on it. Um, They're like, I can see that. We were, we were wrong about this album. Well, we discussed it with uh, one of our first albums that we did um, with the brothers. Mm. Um, you know, that album that we covered, Morning Glory, uh, there were some songs on it that were different, weren't quite the same. People bitched and whined. But now, two at least two of the songs off of that, three of the songs off that album are the, some of the best remembered. Yeah, very true. So sometimes going backwards and, you know, at the time you're like, oh my gosh, you changed your sound. Um, but now going back, you're like, oh wow, okay. You know, they're, they're musicians. I mean, that means they're artists. That means they're going to experiment with sound. Eh, 
You don't get your panties in a wad. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And Rolling Stone is one of the people who did not like it. And now it is like, I think it's the only Kiss album that is in the Rolling Stone 500 Greatest of All Time. Really? Oh, yeah. wow. Okay. I don't think Alive made the cut. Okay. I think, uh, now this is a 2012 ranking. I didn't look to see because their, their rankings are all over the place. Sure. But uh, it was number 489 the last time I looked. Uh, it is also one of the 1001 to hear before you die. Okay. Yeah. I would, I would definitely put it in my sets of albums that I would recommend. It ended up going double platinum, by the way. Oh, see, that's awesome. Let's see, what else? Uh, Hit Parader. Uh, it is the num. They are the number one live band out of the. Wait, oh, I was a top top one hundred poll that came in number one live band. And MTV's greatest metal bands, they became in number nine. And I'm guessing, I don't have a year for this, but I'm going to say this is probably the 2000s. I would have probably put them in as uh, hard rock. I don't know if I necessarily hear metal. They often get into that hard rock metal area. Because some of their albums are metal, some of their albums are pop, some of theirs are hard rock and like so forth. Right. <sighs> It's it, it, they vary. I'd say they have more hard rock than they do metal. Fair enough. Uh, see, Blender and O2 ranked them number fifty out of the one hundred greatest American albums of all time. They put Destroyer at number fifty. That's one hundred uh, greatest American albums, albums of all time. All time. Wow. That's ooh. So Destroyer is a um, true American album. Uh yeah. I mean. Uh... My goodness, though. And that, you can't beat it being released in 1976. Uh, I mean, 200-year anniversary, I guess. All right. Guitar World ranks it as number 60 on the 100 greatest guitar albums of all time. Um, I would say the guitar work is very competent. Competent? Yes. Some of the solos are awesome, but I mean... You know, I grew up listening to, so when I listen to the, I don't know, like when you listen to Eric Clapton and Stevie Ray Vaughan and Jimi Hendrix, my idea of an awesome guitar player, I think is a little bit different than most people's. Yeah, well, man, you can't compare. You can. It's apples and oranges. There's few people you can compare to Hendrix. I mean, you're talking people like Richie Blackmore, uh... Brian May, very few people are in that in the, the, the top tier of guitar players. Yeah, like like I said, Stevie Ray Vaughan. I mean, yeah, he's him, the only person that has ever covered a, a Jimi Hendrix song, and you know, people said, "Wow." And then the second Ace is influenced by some of those people you even named. Oh, sure. So you can't count him in that because he's no he's again a um, younger. It's like with um, uh, Jimmy Page. Yeah, you know his is more because it wasn't because his solos and things like that were just so awesome, but he was very inventive, like Hendrix mm. was yeah. in terms of the sounds that he got out of the guitar. Yeah. What 
what uh, he was able to do with the cards. Some of the, you know some of the the intricacies of the playing that he made sound effortless. Um, you know, it, 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 like I said, uh, it's it's good. Don't get me wrong. It's just that I've never known Kiss. At least you know my limited uh, listening has never been like, oh wow, they just they just shred it up. It's just their consistency, I guess, is what it is to me. I don't care if you see them live, hear them on an album, whatever. You're still going to get the same performance. And if you go see them live, you're going to get the performance like of a lifetime, like with the with the. The pyrotechnics, uh, the showmanship of the band itself, um, you know, the gear that they're wearing. You oh, know yeah. what I mean? Uh, it, it, they're able to write music that is uh, universally applauded while at the same time being one of the better stage performers. Oh, yeah. Uh, which is extraordinarily hard to do to translate that album sound to a live sound, especially given the acoustics of different stadiums different avenues things like that so at least just for me uh you know the guitar was never the prominent part of kiss for me it was always more like the sound the riff and everything put together was just a complete song okay fair enough um oh beth number three vh1 greatest power ballads of all time I can, um, you know, maybe a little bit high for me, um, but I would definitely have it top ten, and I can definitely see why it's there. I mean, it's it's a it is a good song. It was also their first gold single. Yeah, I mean, and... it's it's a like I said, it's different. You know, it's the slower rock ballad, but mm-hmm. my that's a that's a if you like those if you like rock ballads, then you that is one of the again one of the songs you have to listen to. It's uh, one a people's choice award for them. Yeah, uh, that is surprisingly good. I mean, again, you know, I my tastes tend to lead towards the heavier side. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a metalhead. That's just the way I am. Even I was like, wow, that's kind of a cool little rock ballad. It's not a bad little song. Uh, oh, VH1 yet again. 40 Greatest Metal Songs. In at number six, Detroit Rock City. Yeah, again, uh, I distinguish metal and rock, but... Uh, you know, as I said I'd earlier, say it's on the line. It's on the line, but I still would put it in a more of a rock category. It's like uh, Led Zeppelin. Mm. I don't consider them a metal band; they're a rock band. Um, but they're kind of a hard rock, so that's where I'll put Kiss. I'd say God of Thunder was metal. Oh gosh, yes. much more so than this song. Yes, um, but again, it's not as good of a in song. In terms though. of the musicality and uh, technicality. The song really is uh, for someone that can listen to music in a certain way. That song, you're like, okay, that one's that one's been put together. Like, you can hear all the pieces coming together. Where again, it's not that the other songs aren't good. It's just more strum, strum, sing, mm-hmm. hit drums, sing chorus, guitar solo, repeat, finish song. Yeah. Detroit is a is is it's just different. It is a it, yeah. It's it's pretty sweet. They finally got put into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame back in 2014. Okay, yeah, that's well deserved. And back in 2006, they were the very first band to be inducted into the VH1 Rock Honors, which is no longer a thing. 
Who cares, man? <laughs> you know, it's like holding the WCW belt. You That's can say right. you, you can say you did it. So it was them, Def Leppard. Oh, okay. Which was the very first band I can remember liking. Uh, As you talked about your father's th- music, that was one of the. My father was Def Leppard and Black enough. Sabbath. And sure. That, yeah. My father was a little bit heavier and then a little bit more pop. That's what I, I remember him listening to. Uh, let's see. Yeah. Pop came from mom. It was like Phil Collins. That's, that's, where, I, that's where I get my In the Air Tonight love. Kit I Kiss. cannot. That song is just. Oh. Mm. I'll never forget it. Moultrie, Georgia. 98.7. Kiss FM. Even back then. So. That takes us through the accolades and the breakdown of the album. So we're going to come into breaking down the songs and basically questions. Absolutely. But we only have about five minutes left before my little app cuts us off. So we're going to take a quick break, refill our beverages, maybe, I don't know, walk outside for a second, catch some fresh air, and then we'll come right back. And hopefully you won't even know that we've been gone. Okay, now I actually meant to start off the entire podcast with this question, but I forgot it. Just sure. like I have majority of these questions like right. this. Um, you mentioned it already, but I want to know, do you think this is a concept album or just an album with high art concepts? Um, I think maybe the latter might be a more accurate description because of the inconsistencies in some of the pacing of the, the album. You know what I mean? A whole concept art album, you know, probably wouldn't have great expectations or, you know, possibly God of Thunder in it. It would be more congruent, you know what I mean, throughout. Um, but as far as concepts, heck yeah, they've got different sounds. Um, they definitely, like I said, genre-specific 70s style melodic uh type things going on and then next thing you know the god of thunder's coming for your soul so uh i don't know so concept like when i think concept albums like i almost think of what is it green days american idiot yes because that's like a rock ballad you know it's like a congruent thing the opera thing yeah it's like a rock opera or rock comedy whatever you want to call it um this like, if you take out a couple of songs, then I say yes. But given the way it is, the ones that they included, then I kind of have to say sort of maybe your second your second version is a little bit more accurate than mm-hmm. pure just pure concept album. I can kind of see it either way. I mean, it's kind of got that drink, smoke, drive, die saga to it. Absolutely. I agree with that. Um, I mean... Without the education that we have and the background that we have, I couldn't have put the thought into it that I did. Fair enough, yeah. I mean, with the flow of the songs, I could easily put into thought, yeah, I can see how this is the the concept album and the, the flow of a car accident and then the, the the fading away of 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 a youth and right then 
they're, they're, then they're being resuscitated and then they're, they're back and then they're saying goodbye to their, their love, love of their life, Beth. And, right. And then as they're going away, they're like, well, do you love me at the end? You know, and then the rock and roll party at the very end of it is kind of the you know, rebirth, so to speak. They're going away. They're gone. Yeah. You know, I can, I can see that, you know, I can uh, see it. I can see it. But that's that's I mean that. To but some, again, that to me though. Uh, that's that's a, that's that is a real deep thought grasp. Some of the again, yeah, I think you have to take uh, some of the songs out for that flow to feel for me to feel that flow. Yeah, I can see it. It's just one or two of them, just absolutely, just me. Eh. Uh, yeah. Uh, take me out of it is what they do. Yeah, I can I can I can see your way. I can see what you're saying. With, with more time, I could really dive into it and explain my thought behind every one of them. Sure, absolutely. But I don't want to go another hour talking about that. Yes, let's not do that. Uh, you know, just for the listeners' sake. They're here for their their information and our love for music. They might be like, well, I don't want to know about this. Well, maybe you do. If you do, well, as, shoot me an email. Yeah, I was going to say, as a listener, if you want us to do a podcast on that, then <laughs> just send an email uh, or DM or whatever, a mention on Twitter, um, whatever you'd like to do. Let me know your, the, the, your thoughts on the concept of Destroyer. Yeah, okay. Uh, so what is uh, the best song in your opinion? I think the one that gets me again in the mood to roll down the windows and roll down the road on like a sunny country road is uh, Flaming Youth. <laughs> yeah, that's a great one. Um, now, that's my favorite song of the album, but I don't think it's the, the, the best one on the album. Would I mean, in, but but describe best though. You know, best is you know the the where they reached their apex on the album. Oh, okay, fair enough. I you know I think they reached that at the top. The the very top of the album is like they, that's hard to beat. You know, Detroit Rock City. It's hard hard to beat that throughout the rest of the album. The only other one I think that can come close to that would well would have to be shouted out loud or Beth. Those are the only other two, in my opinion, that come close to the the magnitude or the... Well, they're the three best produced songs. There you go. They are, if you're an iTunes person, they are the only three songs uh, that are starred in terms of the Apple Digital Master, you know, because the other ones are just can't be done that way. Hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, these starred songs are also known for, like, Hey, these are the ones that did very well. You know, you can look at the popularity thing when you're buying them. Um, but yeah, you know, I don't know. Everybody has their own kind of like vibe. You know what I mean? Yeah. And there's several on here, like Shout It Out Loud, Rock and Roll Party, Flaming Youth, uh, Detroit Rock City that are more of the... Um, I don't want to say party um, music, but they kind of are. Like it's like you said earlier with Dazed and Confused. Like yeah. I totally expect somebody to be sitting on the hood of some muscle car, 
with this on their radio in the background. Yeah. Like, and we're in some field drinking, you know, moonshine or something. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it has that feel to it. Um, so, some of the other ones, like I said, just kind of take me out of it. But, again, for the time period in which this came out, they are period kind of correct. You know what I mean? Um, at least with the sound. Um, whether how weird the song is or not. Yeah, Flaming Youth is my favorite song off the album. I mean, that's the one that I connected with first off when I first heard the album way back when I was 12, and I've always enjoyed it the most. Sure. Yeah. Uh, this is, I think we're both going to have the same answer. What's the worst song on the album? There is nothing worse on this album than Great Expectations. That's so true. Um, it is a very confusing... Okay, so again, as uh, for our listeners, as a newbie to KISS, not in terms of me not knowing them, uh, I know all their popular songs and even some of their less popular songs because I had a fraternity brother that was as big of a fan as you are. So, it's not my first run, but this is my first... Believe it or not, this is the first KISS album I've ever bought. So, um, in my research during the week, listening to everything's, um, Great Expectations got to be one of those songs that I literally would just skip over. Um, <laughs> um, I heard it once or twice, and some of the times I couldn't believe what I was actually listening to. Um, I, you know, we mentioned it earlier because we were playing it. Um, it sounds like an Adam Sandler song. Um, <laughs> it, it, number one, it sounds like Adam Sandler is singing it. Uh, two, the the musicality of it is so simple that it does sound like a, a like a, a comedy guy would write it because you know you got to be able to be funny and strum a guitar at the same time. Um, yeah, see my hands. Don't you want my hands? I just what what? See my mouth. See my like you said. Don't you want my mouth? No, no, dude. I actually don't. Not in the slightest. Uh, you could have kept that to yourself, and I would have been just fine. And, you know, Paul has said so many times that you know that we've tried to keep it G-rated, but there's you know there's some on this pod channel that are not. Sure. He's he said that they told us we needed to stop writing "fuck me, suck me" songs. This yeah. is so one of those songs. Yeah, it really is. It's 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 like the it's like the great grandfather of the '80s power ballads that you know were so popular. She's uh, my cherry pie. Skid Row, <laughs> Poison, uh, Warrant. You can the list goes on and on, and every single one of those songs was nothing more than a "Can I Get Late" song. Let's mm-hmm. let's not. Don't even fluff it up. Don't try to impress me with some type of magical chord progression that it might know. I'm sorry. Every last one of them was, you know, I love you. Let's get naked. Like, they can say it in any way they want to. But that was the be-all, end-all of uh, the song. So this feels like, to me, the 70s version of a terrible 80s can I get in your pants? Rock out them. I'm sorry. I, I just, I can't with that song on this. I just, you know, it's just not my favorite. Because there's so many other good songs, like I said, that I rolled the windows down to. I was pleasantly surprised. Hmm. Um, 
that was now no that was an unpleasant surprise oh yeah it's it's it it, it totally i mean let's see what is it it's number four so you've got Detroit Rock City, mm-hmm. which flows right into King of the Nighttime World, which no, is no, the best one and two combo of, a, of, of the album. I agree. Then you go God of Thunder, and little you're kind of like, little bit yeah, man, boom, boom, boom. And then you got that, right? And you're like, what the like, hell just I'm happened? Like two great rock songs, then a little bit heavier metal song. Yeah, it's it's a little bit weird if you weren't into the. I mean, to me, it's just like any other. Hey, Oh, you know, demons, soul, mm-hmm. play to the god of thunder and rock and roll, mm-hmm. you know? That's kind of cool to me. You know, it has a different sound. That is not a song I dislike. It just sounded different than the yeah, other songs. It does. But then, for you to go to, from like you said, the best t- two combo in terms of the like true rock kind of party sound that Kiss kind of embodies, and then to go into maybe something that's a little bit more outside of their wheelhouse... Um, with this number four song, um, yeah, um, I'm going to go ahead and say that you need to keep that wheel in that house. Um, don't ever bring the wheel out, flatten it, uh, strip the rubber off of it, break, literally melt the metal down, form it into a cross (laughs) and then bury it under holy water so that it never sees the light of day again. Yeah, that's rough. That's a rough one. I'm sorry, because then you go back and you go right back into Flaming Youth, and you're like, "Oh wait, the, the album's back." You're right. It just, <laughs> and then it doesn't stop. You're like, "Oh wait, the album's back." And then the album's over, and you're like, "Man, that was great." Oh, oh wait, there's that one song. The back end of the album is also the short songs, like the two to three minuteers. Oh, and honestly, yeah, you're right. I will say this: the one thing that shocked me every single time is by skipping over Great Expectations. Uh, five through ten go by so fast, like you can't even believe it. Yeah, I mean, again, Detroit Rock City is a long song. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Uh, King of the Night. Uh, it's not. It's not as long, but it's still pretty good. Long, like again, good solo rock song. Uh, God of Thunder's an average length song, but again, you can get into it. You don't put up with great expectations, but if you do, you're going to be there for a while. All right, uh, listening to different body parts <laughs> do whatever they do to an imaginary woman out in the crowd. Uh, and then, uh, like I said, you get to Flaming Youth, and you're like, yeah, right back in it. But the next thing you know, you're listening to Beth. You know what I mean? Like, it goes so mm-hmm. fast, and, you know, Beth slows you back down. And then, Do You Love Me is a little bit on the long side. Because, you know, at the end, they're just re- literally repeating yep. Do You Love Me over mm-hmm. and over again. And then Rock and Roll Party, and you're done. And you're like, wait a minute, the album's done already? So it's a, it's a little bit weird how that, that part is paced. Yep. Um, this is a pretty good question, in my opinion. But I'm not sure you're gonna have an have an answer for it, though. That's fair. What made this their first platinum selling album? What well, other than the fact that it's they didn't have platinum until '76? <laughs> I'm true. Sure. I would like to know if any of the other albums sold more than a million copies. They did not. Okay, so then I believe. Given the time frame, what? Well, uh, hang on, hold on. But if you ask Paul and Gene, "Alive" is a double platinum album. But if you go to RIAA, it mm-hmm. is not. E, um, I can see where there might be a discrepancy by from their accountants and some other accountants. I won't. I won't speak on that. What I will though is the uh, beginning of mass producing of music started happening. Um, music in cars was also becoming like stereo systems. Oh, ooh, in that's cars cool. was also becoming a thing. 
So not that the album wasn't uh, a, an awesome platinum album. I just think people it gave people more access to it. Right, so let's reword that. So what made it their best-selling album then? Um, to that point. It to, again, for me, I think it was the, uh, the branching out and doing something different. Um, the, a lot of those songs sound just like some of those really cool 70s songs, but with the Kiss flavor to them. So, uh, like you said, maybe not at the time people appreciated it as much, but over time, people have gone back and went like, okay, some of those songs are really kind of kind of cool. Um, so, you know, I don't know what how you could buy singles back then. You know, I remember being in high school, you could buy single tapes. You know, then you got to college and you could buy CD singles. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they had three songs on them. Yeah. Same thing with the tapes. So, um, with the popularity of Beth um, and Detroit Rock City, um, and shout it out loud. Uh, if you wanted those songs, you had to go out and buy the album. So again, I think given uh, the new sound, uh, the proliferation of uh, portable music, and the ability to listen to music different ways, gave rise to like a, you know, I'd say probably what 14, 15 year olds through like probably 28 to 30 year olds. You know what I'm saying? It was it was something that they could go out and go spend their money on. You know, mm-hmm. come home, hang out. You know, it, the, if we if we are to believe that Dazed and Confused is kind of like it, what it was like that in high school and college. Yeah. Then, I mean, you know, maybe they, it was that type of culture where you sat around, you smoked weed, and you listened to music. Or you get in your muscle car and you ride around with your buddies and terrorize ninth graders while listening to music. <laughs> If you, you know what I'm saying? You yeah. see the theme there? There's, yeah. there's always going to be music. There's always music in the background. Right. right. And at least I remember from my high school days, 100% I had a soundtrack. Me too. Because I was always listening to something. Yeah. You know, as a youth, that's just was part of my repertoire. Like, you know, I'm going to be listening to music if I'm in my car. Like, mm-hmm. And I'm going to be jamming along and it makes the drive go by. Things like that. So I think it's a it's a it's a toss up. Like I don't believe that the availability uh, definitely drove the sales. I just think the availability helped. That's that a make, great that makes, answer. I don't know if there's sense. a better answer than that. That's probably the best answer that there is. Is what you said. <clears throat> um, where would you rank slash rate? This album in the large Kiss canon. Um, not being familiar enough with their entire catalog, I do not feel comfortable ranking it. Okay. I'll okay. just be honest with you. Um, I would have to become more... I mean, you know, I know a bunch of Kiss songs, but I don't know which albums they're on like you do. Huh? You know what I mean? Um... In my humble opinion, this is the best of the best, album-wise. Oh, okay, cool. Um, they don't have a better album than this. Um, the, while there may they may have better songs at times that are better. Sure, sure. You like know. individual mm-hmm. singles. You're like, man, that's that's a good song. I like that. I like that more than I do Flaming Youth. Sure. 
uh, now I don't know that there's going to be any you come across that are more um, musically inclined than I, than you know say the top, the first two music as as one and two roll in together. Sure, but. This is this is probably the best that they get, and it and it's and it, it is a shame, in my opinion, that they hit it so early in their career, and then, you know, think of let me let me put it this way. This is this is seventy six, and they've been at it together since seventy three, so they're, they're three years in. Sure. All right, so we've got Paul, who is singing the best he has ever sung at this point. He maintains this ability to sing this well, and I'm going to tell you, he sings this well probably up until about 2005. Okay. Uh, Gene is playing the best bass right now he's ever played. It does not last long. Oh, I was going to say Detroit Rock City. I mean, that has one of the most iconic bass lines. And about 1982, he loses interest, and his playing kind of goes by the wayside, and I don't know that he ever really regains the majority of his musicianship. Ooh, okay, fair enough. Ace is playing guitar. Sure. He plays guitar much better later on in life than he does now. Okay. Right, right at this point. Right. This is the best Peter Chris is ever going to play the drums. Fair enough. In 76 through 77, this three-album period between Destroyer to Love Gun is the best he's ever going to play in his life. And it all starts here because of Bob Ezrin putting him through the paces. Sure, like you said, uh, you know, calling you out for slacking. Yeah, but the drugs take the toll. Oh, okay, fair enough. Yeah, and he has some car accidents, and they take the toll physically on him, and things happen. And that's a shame because he, he he was he, t- he turned out to be a really good drummer right after this three album period. Sure, he turned into a really good rock and roll drummer. But you know. This is the apex of the original lineup. They peak, and then they kind of drop and plateau for two albums, and then they kind of hit a steady stream down. Fair enough. And then there's the 80s kiss, and then there's the reunion kiss. Right. That's, and that's then the there's this whatever this the monstrous thing is now. reinvented themselves several times. Yeah. So... Yeah, this this is their number one album, in my opinion. And there's going to be a lot of Kiss fans like, who say the same thing. Like Coca-Cola, this is a, a, a Coke original. This yeah. is Kiss original. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I kind of just said my answer for the next one. Is this the original Kiss's uh, best album? Or their apex? We just answered that. Yeah, we just Wholeheartedly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this, this is a good one. I like this one. If this album... Were created today and released how, how would it do and i would say only based on the revival of uh th- that bluesy kind of 70s soulful sound that's kind of making its way into r&b mm-hmm. um and the popularity of the uh guardians of the galaxy soundtrack i think it would do okay uh, do I think it would go platinum? No. Um, because we've talked about this on other podcasts, right now, rock and roll is out. 
Um, there's just not a lot of really good rock bands out there. And even the ones that are good, um, that I enjoy their music, is it rock or is it pop? Mm. Like, it, I can't decide. Like, you're, you're sort of rock, but then you want to throw a rapper in all of them nowadays. Um, it's like country music, you know, blending with rap music. That's fine mm. if you want to do the, the crossover, but don't call it country or rap because it's really neither. You know, I mean, kind of technically when you add a rap to it, it becomes a rap song. Yeah. Um, you know, Florida Georgia Line's new song with Nelly. Yeah, just, I've heard it. Oh, my gosh. Um, anyway, that's totally off subject. But it, it bleeds into what I'm saying in terms of right now the music climate is not favorable towards rock musicians. Um, well, they released for the... This is 45. So for the 35th anniversary, they released Resurrected. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't know. I can't remember how it did when it, they released it. I mean, that's a while back now. It's almost 10 years. Sure. I don't know how it would do. You're probably fairly... I mean, usually when a big band, you know, an Aerosmith, a Kiss, uh, an Eagles release an album, when they first release it, it skyrockets to the charts, the top five. But then it drops because like it's the original rock. fans that push yeah. that. It you know it, it, unless it is okay. So perfect example when uh, Kanye West and uh, what's her name Rihanna did the song that Paul McCartney wrote. Hmm. He's in the video okay. playing the guitar, and they're <laughs> doing the singing. And there were so many tweets about how Kanye. And Rihanna, we're going to make this Paul guy famous. Okay. He is old. You know, same thing with these guys. There's there's a lot of... too. There's just a... You know, again, I'm, I'm 45, so I'm on the old end. These guys and, would never do that, though. Um, Just nowadays, you know what I'm saying? Like, I think sounds have just moved on. You know what I mean? Like, kids just, you know... They 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 sample things. You know what I mean. You know we, we have Aerosmith to thank for all of this. Um, well, Walk this way, you know, because of that, you know. Yeah, I mean, but yeah, that was an awesome period during the '80s where the hair bands were fantastic. I didn't care, man. Hair metal, awesome. I mean, it was all about good times, drinking, girls. I mean, you know, what KISS is normally... That's what they're all about. Right. You know what I mean? And, and it's just that the sound changed. You know what I mean? Yeah. And all of a sudden, you have this heyday. Like, hey, hey, once again, my mouth, I apologize, listeners. Headbangers Ball. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, those type of shows, they don't exist anymore. No. Um, if you listen to classic rock, what you're going to hear is stuff from the 60s and 70s and 80s. Um, you know, classic pop is now the 90s and the 2000s. Uh, you, there is no such thing as oldies rock when it, because after about 2000, it just freaking died. You know what I mean? Um, so again, based off of that and that fact alone, I don't think it would be as popular today. <laughs> Although they are showmen, so word might get out. Uh, they might be like a poppy thing like baby metal. The jet, the, the, you know, Jap, pop, yeah, uh, J pop. Excuse me for yeah, saying Jap, but um, J pop mixed with heavy metal, and they've done extraordinarily well for themselves. They've made tons of money. On oh, Sweet Pain, 
Which versions did you find better, the Ace solo or the original solo with uh, Bob Wagner? I agreed with you. I enjoyed the newer version. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I can tell the difference. Yeah, I liked the Ace's solo. I thought it it was more of a kiss feel. Yes, that's exactly what I was going to say. Uh, it just felt more like them. The mm. other one, you could tell. And, you know, it's like everybody has a... Sometimes you can just play a solo, and I can tell you exactly who wrote it. Because mm. people like to follow certain chord progressions. Uh, Slayer does it. Metallica does it. Uh, Megadeth does it. Anthrax does it. They, they follow patterns. So you really can just like, oh, that's a blank song. I can tell. So in the same way, lead guitarists... You can say, oh, that's a blank solo because of the way they do things. So uh, for those who pay attention, uh, you know, the new the new solo does add. It does not detract from the song. It adds. No, it does not. It does. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Not that the, the Wagner solo was bad. No, no. It was no, no. a very professionally laid out solo. And sure. It, it, it definitely went with the total rhythm of the song. Sure. But it, it was not... It, it just it again, took no the, risks. The other one was just more kissy, I guess. I don't, yeah, know, how, yeah. I don't know how to That's say That's a good way to put it. Yeah, it was more kiss like. Yeah. Um, uh, two more. Uh, I want to keep this this one for the last, though. Let's just go to this one first. All right. If they had buried Beth, do you think Kiss would be what they are today? And now you didn't know all that about Beth until earlier. So taking um, that into account, what do you think? Taking that into account, I think that possibly they would be a very well-known hard rock, rock and roll, heavy, whatever band. But I think the fact that that song was so genre-bending for them, and it's you know it's an excellently written song. Um, and you know, pretty much anyone can relate to it and relate to the lyrics and the concepts. So given that, I think when they released that song, they broadened their music listening base. And then their listening base went, wow, some of these other songs on this album are actually pretty darn cool. They're not this demon spewing blood you know what i'm saying like <laughs> yeah, people, i'm just thinking about being in 76 and you not having the way we have to go to the internet and oh yeah and just click on a song and get a minute of it there was no such thing as that back mm -hmm. then so <laughs> when you just look at the guy like look at the demon you know mm -hmm. he's got the little blood drip you know some people are going to be turned off by that in the 70s that's just the way it is but then when they come out and they sing this rock ballad and you're like whoa that's cool. Maybe I should give them a chance. And then you turn around and you find out, oh my gosh, they not all of it's this heavy stuff. Some of it is really this 70s uh, style rock and roll that I really enjoy. And they've got some great songs. You know what I mean? So um, I think Beth opened them up so that they could be as popular as they became. Yeah, I think you're right with everything you just said because... Much like their disco song, I Was Made For Loving You Did, it introduced them to that audience, and it was sort of like a, like a gateway drug. Right. And they got it, and they're like, oh, wow, I, I like the disco song, but I like all these other songs. Hey, some of these other songs aren't too bad either. And it was like kind of the, 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 soft, uh, the softer rock people heard the Beth, and they're like, I like that, so I'm going to go buy this album. And they sure. listen to that, and then all of a sudden they're like, 
you know, I like this. I like all these other stuff. So then they went out and they became Kiss fans. Back in the day. Exact same thing. You see something on MTV. I love this song. What do you have to do? You either got to go buy the CD or the tape because you ain't buying, you know, again. Yeah, there's singles. no iTunes, Amazon. There's none of that. There's Spotify, no to, nothing. There's no way to preview an album. And with tapes, you know, back in the day, you were pretty much forced to listen to every song. So you got to know the album better. No such thing as the digital skip until the CD. Yeah. So it was a. I think people listened to music a little bit differently back then. So, uh, like me and you know our albums completely, track for track for track for track. I guarantee you, um, even probably my cousins who were in their twenties, if we talked about an album, they would only be able to talk about certain songs. Oh, it drives me insane. My daughter, who loves all these people, like Olivia Rodrigo, sure, who it pains me to no end to say probably has the best rock and roll song of any on the radio right now. Sounds very Paramore-ish, and Paramore's one of my favorite rock and roll bands, period. Isn't that a, it's a good song, isn't it? Last 10 years, it's a pretty good one, not going to lie. It's a good song. Um, I'm like, so you like her? She's like, yeah, and she names off these songs. I'm like, so how's her album sound? She's like, huh? I'm like, wait. I'm like, so you have all these bands, do you listen to their albums? No, I listen to their songs, Dad. See, that's I'm like, not, oh my gosh, uh, that, that's the lost art of getting to know an artist. Yep. Okay. So anyway. it's well known by Kiss fans that Ken Kelly, uh, he was a, an artist, painter back then, created the Destroyer art. Fantastic. They brought him in and he did uh, the Love Gun uh, cover as well. Iconic. They paid him five grand to do it. Oh, wow. So, uh, actually, I just found this out. Uh, Gene Simmons has the original uh, painting of both the kit, the Destroyer and the Love Gun, hanging in his house. Yeah, I bet you they're worth a lot uh, more yeah. than five grand yeah. now. Ace was like, I have no idea how he's the one that got them, but he's the one that has them. <laughs> yeah, because he's the demon. Because he's Gene. Because he's Gene. So, if you, um, you, you, you're going to know some of these in your head if you search through your memory bank. Sure. Uh, so, out of all the Kiss covers, Kiss album covers, which do you think's the best? Um, of the ones I've seen, I would have to agree with Destroyer. Because of, at least again, during my heyday when I really loved music, that's what I kind of expected to see on the front of the covers of my thing. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, it's, it's just simple. It doesn't have a lot going on, but it's like... It's got the, yeah, it's got the everybody are, you know, it's sort of like um, Iron Maiden, you know, or uh, even Megadeth with the skull. Um, yeah. You know, things become iconic. Uh, Metallica, really simplistic covers. There's, I mean, Ride the Lightning is literally a chair with lightning. I love that one. That's my favorite. Okay. Master of Puppets. It's two hands with strings and a field, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Black cover is literally the "Don't Tread on Me" the, mm -hmm. the Gadsden flag. You can barely see that you can barely see with Metallica on it. You know what I mean? Like uh, even uh, when they get into load and reload, they weren't they weren't kill them all. Not a not a really complicated album cover, but it kind of gives you an idea of what you're getting into. Yeah. You know what I mean? So for me, that one is just pure iconic. Like. You see this and you don't ever forget that. Did you check out the cover for The Resurrected? Mm, I don't remember it off the top of my head. That's what the original cover was supposed to look like. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah. Um, 
To me, the their best one is for the next album, Rock and Roll Over. Okay. That's my that's my favorite. Sure. And that is the, the best one. And and if you actually go through and you look through a lot of people's top ten list, best Kiss album covers, the, usually it's uh, Destroyer, Rock and Roll Over, Love Gunner, like you somewhere in the top three, top five. Sure. One, two, three, five, something like that. Um, as you talked about, iconic those right there, the solo covers. Those sure. are the iconics. In my oh, opinion. I agree. I mean, if you nine times out of a ten, when you see someone with the Kiss T-shirt, what are they wearing? Something like that. They're yeah. not wearing, you know, which is what shirt. I have on today. <laughs> right, like they're not wearing the Destroyer shirts. They're mm. wearing the four faces. Mm-hmm. So I will say, like something like that. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter where the Kiss logo is or the arrangement of who's where. You know, whether it be you know four corners or mm-hmm. you know diagonal, you know cross. Um, yeah, that's the t-shirt you always see. So, yeah, yeah it's, it's uh, you know what? It's Kiss, and they've made a career out of being, I don't know what to say, the makeup-wearing people who parents don't like. Yeah, well. Lock up. Parents, lock up your daughters. Yeah. Kiss is coming to town. <laughs> Seriously. That's what they used to say in the 70s. Good gosh. So... I hope you guys enjoyed our uh, first podcast back in seven months. Yeah. We've enjoyed it. We've enjoyed it immensely. Have we decided when we're coming back for the next one? Is it a week? Two, two weeks? We're going to do them every two weeks Every now. two weeks for a little while. Yeah. We'll get back in the habit. I just realized I don't have my my card with all our information because I took it off the wall. Um, as always, you can uh, reach me at our email. The music that made us at gmail.com. If you want to know more about my thoughts on the concept of Destroyer, because I'm a huge nerd, you can email me. <laughs> I'll be happy to tell you. Send the electronic mail. Um, we have a Facebook page. It's uh, facebook.com slash Ben Davis and Carthy. Uh, you can get us on Instagram at the music that made us. How's our Twitter account looking? Um, we'll get that up and running soon. So anyway, it's, it's still it's still there, and we're still talking to the same other podcasters. So uh, what is its address? It's oh, the music uh, that MA two right? Um, yes. Yeah, I think that's it. Hold on. Um, I can tell you in two shakes because ain't technology. There's grand. not really much on it, but we're gonna try to start getting our post our podcast posted on it too. I believe. Yes, if we can find out how to find it. The music that made us, so it's technically at the music that M-A, so capital M-A-2. There we go. And that was Kiss Destroyer with Ben Davidson McCarthy. And you wanted the best. You got the best. The hottest podcast in the land. The music that made us. See you next time.